All right. Thank you so much, and thank God for the Lamb of God. Amen. That taketh away the sin of the world. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me way back now in the Old Testament this morning in the book of Amos, chapter number 7. Amos chapter 7, I'll help you with that if you have an old Schofield Bible. It's page number 939, and we're in the last, uh, the last verses of, of Amos chapter 7. If you'll locate that and then bear with me. I, I'm going to do something this morning I don't normally do on Sunday morning. That's read a lot of Scripture. But I'm going to read some other verses this morning as well. After I read our text, have prayer, and I'll just ask you to follow me along as we kind of work through the book of Amos here a little bit this morning. I'm preaching on the thought, the days of Amos are the days of America. The days of Amos are the days of America. Isn't that a sight? I mean, we find our nation, we find ourselves right here in the book of Amos, chapter number 7, page number 939, if you have an old Schofield Bible. Now, it's right before the book of Obadiah, and that probably doesn't help a whole lot. And it's right after the book of Joel. So we're kind of stuck in these last little books of the Old Testament here. Let me read the verses. I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow up me along. Look at Amos chapter 7, verse number 10. Here's what the Bible said. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jero Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Amaziah said, King, well, i got to tell you something. There's a preacher up here that's been preaching, and I'm telling you, man, this land can't bear the words that he said. Verse 11, For thus saith Amos. Now here's what he's preaching. Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also... Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos, and said to Amaziah, Hey, I want to tell you something. I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer, of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Now, boy, he's about to drop the hammer on Amaziah now. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city. I don't think he has taken Dale Carnegie's course on how to influence people and make friends. Do you? He said, hey, preacher, your wife's going to turn into an harlot. That's what he said. Then he goes on to say, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. The days of old Amos. Are the days of Amos now become the days of America? Let's pray. Father, bless your word. Speak to our hearts. I pray in the service this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you remember, I've told you often that right at the end of our Old Testament, there are 12 books that we often refer to as the books of the minor prophets. Once again, they're called minor prophets, not because of the significance of their message, but because of the size of their message. Each one of these 12 books is very brief in length if you kind of lay them down beside of a book of Jeremiah or the book of Isaiah or even the book of Ezekiel. When you lay these 12 books down by those prophecies, then you come to understand, boy, they're not very long prophecies. But may I just remind us all that these minor prophets had a major message for the nation of Israel. And they had a major message for the people of God. And can I just say that these minor prophets also have a major message to modern America. And out of all of these so-called minor prophets that we find in these last 12 books, probably without doubt one of my favorite ones would have to be this man by the name of Amos. And the reason I love him so much is because I guess in a way I kind of find myself. I find myself in the story of Amos. Now, in no ways am I elevating myself to the stature or the status of Amos. In the words of John the Baptist when speaking of the Lord Jesus, he said this, The latchets of whom shoes, of whose shoes I am unworthy to lose. And when it comes to Amos, I just want to say the latchet of his shoes I am unworthy to lose. But I kind of see myself in this story as far as where he came from and as far as what he did. You see, Amos was from the south, uh, the southern, uh, southern Israel. He was from uh, what we would call Nowheresville. He was from a little place called Decoa, which was down south in the land of Israel. His occupation was that he, he looked after the herd. And during certain times of the year when the fruit came in, he picked fruit for a living. I think we can honestly say, and not mean this in any way disrespectfully, Amos was a country bumpkin. He was from the south, if you please. And he looked after cows, and he picked fruit for a living. Well, one day while he's down south watching his cows and picking fruit, God came to him and called him to prophesy. God came to him and called him to preach. And not only did God call him to prophesy, but God gave him a place to prophesy in as well. You see, God called this southern preacher, this country bumpkin, to go up north to the big city, to the big church, and to preach unto them. Now, being called a God itself from the south with the backbone of a saw log, uh, you know, going to preach in the big city in uptown church, as you might well imagine, that didn't go over too good. I mean, they didn't like necessarily what Amos had to say. So he goes up north to the place of Bethel, and he tore loose preaching against the sin of the people and the wickedness of the king and the soon coming judgment upon the land. And boy, when he did so, the religious bigwigs from that place really, really got upset. You see, they were too reformed. They were too refined for that, that kind of south kind of preaching, that country bumpkin kind of preaching. I can imagine that probably even old Amos probably hacked a little bit when he preached. You know, you've heard hacking preachers before. Open your Bible uh-huh, to the Gospel of John. Uh-huh. And they hack a little bit when they preach. Well, being down from southern Israel, a country bumpkin, out watching cows and picking fruit, he was, he was not reformed enough or refined enough for that up kinda, uh, uptown kind of church. I mean, they didn't appreciate 
what he had to say, and it wasn't long until he started getting a little pushback, a little opposition from the religious bigwigs of that day. The head preacher from the First Baptist Church in Bethel was a man by the name of Amaziah, and he told Amos to get back down there in the south and do his preaching down south because up north the, the, the land couldn't bear his words. Hey, go on back down south, Amos. Go back down there to your cows. Go back down there to picking your fruit. And to that, Amos responded by saying, you didn't call me to preach, and you're not going to shut me up. Amos said, I was down there watching cows, picking fruit, minding my own business, and God came to me. And God called me to preach his word. And Amaziah, since we're talking about it, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Your wife is going to turn into a harlot. Your boys and girls are going to be devoured by the sword. And this whole land up here, along with the king, are going to go into captivity. Now, I guess in these days, you and I are going to have to make up our mind what kind of a preacher we're going to listen to. Or are we going to listen to an Amaziah preacher who has a lot of tact? Or are we going to listen to a country bumpkin preacher that's only got contact? Now, I'll tell you something, any day of the week, I'd rather listen to a preacher that has contact more than I had a preacher that's got tact. Oh, he may dot his I's and cross his T's and pronounce his words just right, but give me an old-fashioned leather lung, saw-log backbone preacher any day of the week that's got a little contact on the other side who's going to stand up and say, this is what God has to say about it. So in these days, you and I are going to have to make up our mind. What kind of preacher are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to an Amaziah or are we going to listen to an Amaziah? Well, I couldn't help but notice as I worked my way through this book, I've been reading through the Old Testament, and I couldn't help but notice as I was working my way through this book, the similarities that I found that was going on in the days of Amos, of the land that Amos lived in, and the similarities of this day and age in which you and I are living in. Now, can I say this? You and I are living in the days of America. This is America, but I promise you, you and I are going to find ourselves in the days of Amos. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to give you three characteristics from the days of Amos and see if you don't agree with me when I say the days of Amos have now become the days of America. All right? First of all, if you will, I want you to see how, number one, the days of Amos were marked by displeasing worship. They were marked by displeasing worship worship. Now, you've got to follow me on this. Stay with me for just a moment, but to say the least, the days in which Amos was called to preach were days of great religious activity in the nation. I mean, I don't want you to, under, I don't want you to think that when Amos was called to preach that nobody was going to church, that he was just preaching to a bunch of unchurched people. It was not that whatsoever. In fact, as we look, move through this book, the one thing we find about the days of Amos was a lot of people were going to church in the days of Amos. They hadn't turned away from church. They hadn't quit attending the house of God, not by a long shot. In fact, just the opposite. I mean, everybody was going to worship. Everybody was going to the house of God. Maybe I could say it like this. In the days of Amos, church attendance was at an all-time high. People were going to church. They were bringing their offerings. They were bringing their tithes to the house of God. In fact, let me tell you this. If what was going on back in the days of Amos was going on in our day, we would say, man, revival is breaking out in the land. 
Look at all these people coming to church. Look at all these people bringing their offering. Look at all these people bringing their tithes to the house of God. You and I would say, man, it's days of revival. There is an outpouring of the Spirit of God. But as we look further into the days of Amos, we find that even though it was days of great religious activity, I mean, it was a day of when worship was displeasing to God. Now, I want you to go back to chapter 4. I said I'm going to read some verses. So go with me back to chapter 4. Let me see if I can prove my point this morning, all right? Days of displeasing worship. Now, back in Amos chapter 4, and if you'll notice in verse number 4, we have these words, Come to Bethel. Now, you've got to understand in those days, Bethel was where the house of God was located. In fact, the word Bethel, the name Bethel, Beth means house, and with that little uh, suffix on the end of it, E-L, that's El, that's Jehovah or God. So when you read, come to Bethel, what he's saying, hey, come to the house of God. And notice this now, and transgress. And at Gilgal, multiply transgression. Hey, bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liken you, uh, uh, this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Now you say, preacher, what's all that mean? Well, here's what they were saying. They were going to church. Oh, yeah. They were going to the house of God. They were bringing their offerings. They were bringing their tithes. But the truth of the matter was they were living like the devil outside of the house of God. In other words, when you read there in verse number 4, come to Bethel and transgress, that would be like me and you saying, okay, you can go out and live however you want to live as long as you come to church. I mean, multiply your transgression. We don't care how you live, but be sure that you come to church. In other words, what they were saying is, it's all right, don't worry about it, just come to church. Now, I'm going to tell you something, friend. That sounds a whole lot like the days of America. Because people all over America this morning are going to find their way to the house of God. The only problem is between Monday and next Saturday, they're going to live like hell itself. They're going to go out. They're going to throw caution to the wind. I mean, man, they're going to go out. They're going to live like however they want to live. The dirty language, the drinking, the smoking drugs, whatever. But, hey, next Sunday morning, they're going to roll right back in to the house of God. They're going to shake everybody's hands. They're going to sing the songs. They're going to give in the offering. They're going to hear the message. They're going to participate in the prayers. But God said, I just want to tell you something. That kind of activity is displeasing unto me. Now, I would tell you something. We serve a holy God. Amen. A thrice holy God. A God that is holy, 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 and a God that will not tolerate sin in the lives of His people. I wonder how many people walked into this building this morning. You've gone out this week. You've sowed your wild oats. But as I prayed this morning, you were praying for crop failure because you went out, did what you wanted to do, live like you want to live, and yet you want to drag yourself. And by the way, I'm glad you're in the house of God. But I want to tell you something, friend. That kind of activity is displeasing and dishonoring to the Lord. We treat God like God is some kind of a church, is like some kind of a game that we play. You know, hey, I can go out. Nobody's going to tell me how to live, how to talk, how to walk, how to dress, how to act. Nobody's going to tell me what I can and can't do. And yet you want to come back in here every Sunday morning, slip your everything is all right mask on, walk in here like you're some kind of a righteous dude, when in reality you've been living like a devil yourself this week. But I'm telling you, you need to repent and get right with God this morning. Yes, sir.
I mean, it was days of, of, of displeasing worship. I read a little story not long ago that went something like this. These two men walked up on the street. They hadn't seen each other in a while. One looked at the other one and said, Hey, Bob, how you doing? He said, I'm doing good. He said, uh, have, you happened, have you happened to have heard what happened to uh, Sam? He said, well, no, what happened to Sam? Oh, he said, it's bad. He said, did you know last week he stole his boss's car and, and fled town? He said, I can't believe that. He said, no, it's true, but that's, that's not that. It gets worse. He said, you're kidding. You mean Sam stole his boss's car and did something worse? He said, yes, sir. When he stole the boss's car, he took off with the boss's wife as well. Oh, he said, I can't believe that. Sam stole the boss's car and took off with the boss's wife. He said, yeah. He said, that is terrible. He said, you're not going to believe it. It gets worse than that. He said, what did he do? He said, well, he stole the boss's car, took off with the boss's wife, and he embezzled $50,000 out, out of the company. He said, I can't believe it. You mean Sam did all that? He said, yeah, but it gets worse than that. He said, do you mean to tell me that stealing the boss's car, running off with the boss's wife, and embezzling $50,000 is not the worst part? He said, no, sir. He said, the worst part is after he did all that, he didn't get anybody to teach his Sunday school class next Sunday. Now, can I tell you something? That's the days you and I are living in. Yes, sir. I'm talking about the leaders in church, people that name the name of Christ, who stand up and take leadership roles in the house of God. And friend, we want to go out and just do whatever, sin like we want to, and yet come to the house of God on Sunday and just act like we've done God some kind of a wild favor by showing up at the house of God. Days of displeasing worship. You want to see what God thought about it? Look over, if you will, down to chapter number 5. Amos chapter 5. Look at verse 21. Here's what God said about it. So in verse 4 and verse number 5, they're acting like everything's all right, even though they're living out in sin. And then we come to chapter 5 and verse 21, and God said this, I hate, I, I despise your feast days. I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise, the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vow. You know what God's saying? God said, you can come to me. You can act like everything's all right. You can put your worship clothes on, your worship mask on, walk into church. But God said, the problem with all that is, I see what's going on Monday through Saturday. And you think you can just walk in, flip a 20 in the plate, uh, act like everything's all right, and I'm cool with that. God said, I hate that kind of activity. I despise when people do that, God said. God said, I, I don't want any part of that, and you can come and sing your songs if you want to. You can stand up and sing, oh, how much you love Jesus, but the measure of what's going on in your life is not what you stand and sing on Sunday morning. It's how you live on Monday through Saturday. And brother, God said, I just want you, I'm fed up to hear all that kind of stuff. Days of displeasing worship. How many of you agree with me that those are the days of America? All over this country this morning. All over. And I, I, I venture to say, I hope I'm wrong, but maybe even here at Woodland, some people just walked in these doors this morning. And you know you're not living right. 
You know you've been doing wrong. You know things are not right with God, uh, the, the way that you're living. And yet you want to walk in here and just act like everything's all right and just sing to the high heavens and, 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 and just put on your face like everything is cool between you and God when in reality God said, I see what's going on and I just want to tell you something. I don't hate you, but I hate what you're doing. Amen. Amen. Days of displeasing worship. Amen. But there's a second characteristic of Amos Day. You thought that was bad. Stay with me now. Let's go a little deeper. Because not only was it days of displeasing worship. And by the way, can I stop and say this? I wrote this down. I don't, I, I don't want to miss this. Listen to this. When our worship reflects more of the culture around us than it does of the Christ within us, it is displeasing to God. i got to say that one more time. You may want to write that one down. When our worship resembles more of the culture that we live in, more than the Christ who lives in us, then our worship is displeasing to the Lord. Amen. Displeasing worship. But not only was it days of displeasing worship. Look again in this text. It was days marked by disappearing words. Disappearing words. Now go with me over to chapter 8 now for just a moment. Amos chapter 8, look if you will now at verse number 11 and verse number 12. Here's what the Bible says. See if this doesn't sound like America. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and it shall not be found. You know what Amos is saying? Amos is saying, boy, I tell you, my days are marked by days of a terrible drought and a terrible famine. Now, he isn't talking about physically, uh, even though they were days, and I'm going to read this to you in a moment, even though they were days of great physical drought because God was withholding the rain because of the lives of these people. And it was days of great physical famine because of the drought that was invading the land, enveloping the land. The, the crops were not yielding their fruit, and people were hungry, and they were wandering from place to place. But that's not the, the kind of famine that uh, Amos is talking about in this text. Amos is talking about days of a great famine of the Word of God. Now, let's face it. The Word of God is given very little consideration in our nation anymore. The Word of God has given very little consideration in our nation. It almost seems like to me the more defiant we are toward the Word of God, the better we like it. The more we can thumb our nose in the face of God, disregard the Word of God, disrespect what God has to say in His Word, it's almost like the more we do that, the better, the better we like it. You know, what God's Word has to say to us anymore is no longer clearly believed. It's a matter of one's own opinion. You say, well, the Bible said, well, that's your interpretation, preacher. No, but the Bible said, no, that's your opinion. 
Brother, I'm telling you something. If the Bible says it, it ain't up to my interpretation or my opinion. If it's the Word of God, friend, what the Word of God has to say, the Word of God says. And we no longer, I know that may sound good. It may give you an excuse to continue on the way you're living. Well, that's the preacher's interpretation or that's the preacher's opinion. But, brother, when I'm reading these black letters off these white pages and it's inspired of, of God himself and breathed by God, it ain't up to my interpretation or my opinion. I don't care what you think about it. You don't care what I think about it. What we better care about is what God has to say about it and not what we think about it. And there was a famine. It was a disappearing word. That's right, this pleasing worship. God said, I hate this activity. I mean, you can go out and live like you want to and run up here to Bethel and bring your sacrifice if you want to, but I hate what's going on. And then he says this in, this in this text. He said, the Word of God is getting fewer and farther between. It's a disappearing word. You have to confess that if you live in America, the one thing that we find more, growing more scarce and scarce is preachers and churches that stand on the Word of God. We're more interested in being an Amaziah, keeping everybody happy, soothing everybody. We don't, want to up, we, don't, we don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to rub anybody the wrong way. We want everybody to be happy with us. Amos, you're not welcome around here, you country bumpkin. Get back down there, man. We can't stand what you got to say up here. And, brother, we got all these Amaziahs that are standing in the pulpit of America making everybody feel good as they, as they, as they make their way into hell. Where are the Amoses that are going to stand up and say, Say, thus saith the Lord God. This is what God has to say about it. Yes, sir. And we don't care what the president or what any political leader, we don't care what Hollywood or, or anybody else has to say about it. It is the Word of God. There was a great famine going on. But I, I noticed in verse 11, it was not necessarily a famine of the Word of God. It was a famine of the hearing of the Word of God. By and large, there's no longer a people who won't to hear the Word of God anymore. We somehow have got it in our mind that we think that we know what's best. We've got it figured out. The Bible and the Word of God is, is outdated. Preacher, it is old-fashioned. Listen, preacher, the Bible is full of a lot of myths and a lot of stories that are no longer relevant to this day and age in which you and I are living in. Preacher, I mean, please, get up in the 21st century. Quit trying to preach us back into the 19th. Friend, I'm not trying to preach you back uh, 100 years. I want to preach this back 2,000 years. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Hey, I thank God for the modern technology and the conveniences that we've got today. But I tell you, we've come a long way from the Word of God. We've come a long way from what the Bible has to say. We've come a long way from churches. We used to know it. Brother, I'm telling you something. If there's any hope for America, we've got to get back to the Bible and get back to God as it used to be. Listen, I'm telling you, disappearing words. How sad it is that churches have brought that, uh, that notion into, into their worship. Listen to this. I want to read you a quote, and then I'm going to tell you who said this. Listen to this. Here's the quote. He said, uh, uh, there is a new way of doing church. A new way of doing church is emerging in this radical shift. And then here's what he says. Exposition is being replaced by entertainment. Preaching is being replaced by performances. Doctrine is being replaced by drama. Theology is being replaced by theatrics. The pulpit was once the focal point of the church, but it's now being overshadowed by a variety of church growth techniques 
everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations to vaudeville-like pageantry. In the new culture, uh, in seeking to capture the new culture, to give the church the upper hand of, of the church growth, a new wave of pastors has reinvented the church. And they have repackaged the gospel into a product to be, cons to be sold to consumers instead of believed by sinners. Now I want to tell you something. That guy hit the nail right on the head this morning because that is church today as we know it. If we can't entertain, entertain you, you're not coming. If all we have to offer you is the simplistic preaching of the Word of God, folks aren't going to come hear that no more. I mean, they've got to have pageantry. They've got to have drama. They've got to have trendy worship styles, glitzy presentation, vaudeville-like pageantries. Brother, I'm telling you something. If all you've got to offer us is the Word of God, we're going somewhere else. So I want to tell you something, friend. Hear me and hear me well. This book is all we've ever had to offer. Jesus said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Friend, if you get away from this book, shut the doors down, you cease to be a church. If all you can offer people is entertainment and the pulpit is set on wheels where you can roll it in and out so you can have your pageants and your pop and, and all of that, if that's all you've got, friend, I'm telling you, you cease to be a church. Where is the old-fashioned preaching of the Word of God that still calls men to come to Jesus and repent of their sins and get right with God? We're living in days of displeasing worship, and we're living in days of a disappearing word. But number three, we're also living in days of a disciplining work. You see, if you read through the, the book of Amos, the one thing you cannot miss through this book is the fact that God was trying to get his people's attention. That's right. God had sent certain things to these, into these people's lives to get their attention, to call them back to himself. In fact, if you'll look in this chapter, look back into chapter 4 for just a moment, and look at what God had gone, the great lengths that God had gone to, to to get these people, in essence, to wake up and realize what's going on. Look back into chapter 4, and look at verse number 6. Amos chapter 4, verse 6, God says this, And I also have given you cleanness of teeth, in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. So in other words, God said, hey, I'm trying, I'm trying to get you all to listen to what I've got to say. This stuff of living any old way during the week and then come to church, as long as you bring your sacrifice, you think everything's okay. These days when the Word of God is disappearing and nobody wants to hear it anymore, God said, I've been trying to speak to you. In fact, God said, here's what I've done. I've given you cleanness of teeth. You know what that means? You know why their teeth were so clean? Didn't have anything to eat. God said there in verse number 6, He said, there's been a want of bread in all your places. But notice this sad statement. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So God said, okay, that didn't get your attention. Let's take it a step farther. Look at verse 7. And also I've withholden the rain from you. And when there were yet three months to harvest, I caused it to rain upon one city caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece rained upon. It, it rained, it, 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 not, it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. God said, not only have I caused you not to have enough to eat, but now you don't have enough to drink. There's great drought that's hit the land. 
I caused it to rain over here, but not over here. So everybody lived over here, had to go over there to get their water. When they got over there, I stopped the rain there and sent the rain somewhere else. God said, hey, I just, want, I just want you to listen to what i got to say. But look at that sad statement in the end of verse number 7. Verse 8, yet, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So God said, okay, well, let's take it a step further. Look at verse 9. I've smitten you with blasting and mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increase, the palmer worm devoured them, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God said, hey, when the, when the crops started coming in, I sent the locusts in. The locusts came and they ate up, your, ate up your, your crops. Now there's nothing to eat. And God said, I'm just trying to get you to listen to me. Yet you have not returned it. Look at verse 10. I've sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with a sword. I've taken away your horses. I've made the stink of your camps to come up your nostrils. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Verse 11. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. What's God saying? God said, you were like a brand plucked out of the burning. A brand was something, a very dry weed that they used to start fires. And God said, the fire was burning all around you. But before it got on you, I reached down and I picked you up. You were a brand that was plucked from the burning. God said, I've, I've rescued you from various situations. But it's all to no avail. You have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Now look at verse 12. Here we go. Therefore... Thus, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, you know what he says? Enough is enough. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. It is a sad day indeed when God says, I, I've exhausted every mean to get your attention. I've tried my best to call you back to myself. I've sent fires. I've sent hurricanes. I've sent earthquakes. I've sent, I've, I've sent political upheaval. All I've tried to do is to get y'all to come back to me. This stuff of running to church and acting like one thing and living like another, those double lies, those double standards, God said, I'm sick of it. The Word of God is disappearing, and what hurts me more is people don't even want to hear it no more. And I'm trying to get your attention, and nothing works. And God said, finally, okay, if this is the way it's going to be, there's nothing left but judgment. Now, I'm done. But I want to read you two more verses and we're through. Look at Amos chapter 5. Look at verse 19. Now he's describing how the judgment of God is going to be. And look at this verse 19. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. So not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in. You know what he's saying? When the judgment of God comes, you're not going to be able to escape it. You may be like a man who's out in the wilderness and he runs into this big old lion. Boy, that lion gets after him and he takes off and he gets away. It's a miracle, but he got away from that lion. Well, he's still on his journey home and as, he, as he's walking home, man, he's out of breath. He's run from the lion and all, all of a sudden out of the thicket is this big black bear, roars against him, starts running toward him and he runs for his life and somehow or another he gets away from the big bear. Finally, he gets into his house. He's out of breath. He's, he, he's run from the lion. He's got away from the bear. But while he's in his house with his hand leaned up trying to catch his breath, little old snake in his house bites him. And the venom and the poison from that snake kills him, though he got away from the big things. It was the little thing. There is no escaping the judgment of God. Can I ask you something? What's it going to take for God to get your attention? 
I mean, what does God have to do to get us as, as, a, as a nation to turn back to Him? By the way, I'm not just preaching to a nation. I'm preaching to individuals because nations are made up of individuals. What's it going to take for God to get us to get right with Him? I mean, everything that God is doing, what's it going to take? I mean, displeasing worship, disappearing words, disciplining work. God is trying to speak to us, and yet over and over again we can say this of America. Yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God may say that of some individual in this room today. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Yet have you not returned unto me. I've tried to get your attention. I've tried to wake you up. I've tried to speak to you. I've tried to help you. Yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I'm telling you what, it's time we return unto him, saith the Lord. It's time we get right with God and stop playing church. Somebody said when we're young, uh, when we're teenagers, we play marbles. When we're children, we play cowboys and Indians. And when we grow up, we play church. Isn't that pitiful? Isn't it time we stop playing church? and return unto the Lord, saith he. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, would you help us this morning?